Baptist. It was in 2004 uh, when I went to West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. Uh, pastor was a Sp- uh, the Spanish pastor for Iglesia Bautista uh, de Lancaster, and uh, he was there for 18 years, uh, almost 20 years really, uh, but he's got a total of 20 years in ministry, and uh, I've always been so thankful for him. Uh, I got to know him, of course, a little bit there while I was at the, at the college, but really this, this weekend is really so the first time I've got to spend a whole lot of more significant time with him, and, and I appreciate his faithfulness. I appreciate his uh, friendship uh, that we were able to create this weekend, and uh, I, a man that, uh, that for sure has led the way. Uh, a man that has been faithful in, in what God has placed into his hands and the ministry that he's had. And, and uh, for someone as, as, as young as myself, I'm 34, and, and to see someone as young as him, uh, he's 40 after 20 years of ministry, being excited about it and seeing what God is doing in his life and in his family's life has been uh, a big encouragement to me. Uh, his messages the last two nights have been wonderful. And I know that this morning they're going to be great uh, if you just uh, open your heart and uh, allow God to, to speak to you. I know that uh, Pastor Navarrete and his message will be a blessing to you. So, Pastor, I'm going to ask you if you would come up this morning and give us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Thank you. Good morning. Man, that was weak. But I know how you feel, okay? It's early. How many of you agree? This is early, right? All right? Anybody want to vote? We should have English service at like noon. Okay, I get an amen, right? Okay. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. Take your Bible and let's go to Exodus. And uh, I've enjoyed being in Texas. Um, I uh, really, um, I got to tell you, the Lord is uh, sovereign. Uh, we know His plans are wonderful and perfect, but uh, uh, the Lord uh, had um, uh, my family and I for... 31 years I lived in the desert, high desert of California, about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. And then about six months ago, I guess, uh, and uh, specifically about two months ago, we moved to Connecticut. And uh, that's about two hours north of uh, New York City, about two hours south of Boston, kind of right in between. And uh, we have been lo- have loved and enjoyed being there so far. And we're looking forward to getting home. And uh, we've been out preaching during this transition time. And this is really kind of my last meeting. And then uh, really we begin ministry there. So I hope you'll pray for us, okay? But uh, I do have to tell you, we've been there about two months. And uh, uh, I have not found any good Mexican food. So I was really looking forward to coming to South Texas. And I'm telling you, and I think Pastor Mendoza's goal in life has been to fatten me up. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he's done a good job of that. So uh, I got to get back to my diet. But uh, while I'm here the next 24 hours, I am going to eat as much of it as I can because I know it's going to be a while. Well, uh, let's read together if you would. Would you stand with me and let's read Exodus chapter 3. And uh, my wife Jenny and I have been married 18 years. Uh, We have uh, five children and God's been good to us. Uh, Our oldest daughter Isabel will be 16 this month. Uh, then we have a 13-year-old boy named Micah, and uh, he's, um, uh, he looks like Jurgen Klinsmann, okay? He's, uh, he got the German deans, and he's tall, lanky, and skinny, and someday I'll say, this is my boy, and everybody's going to go, yeah, right, <laughs> right. And then we have Sam, and uh, he's, um, he's got both the girth, my girth, and my wife's family's height, so uh, we, we're trying to shape him up now before he's about 280 and 6'5", and uh, he's, uh, he's awesome. His name is Samuel. And then we had twins, and they're seven, uh, Faith, and uh, she, um, she's going to take over the world, I'm pretty sure. She's going to be a great assistant pastor someday. And then, uh, and then Luke, her brother, is uh, just a bundle of joy, and uh, I miss my family this morning, and I hope you'll pray for us. And uh, I can't tell you what a joy it is for me to be here. 
at uh, Bethany Baptist. And I have to tell you, uh, there's just very few places in the world uh, where you'll find a family uh, that's serving together and that I admire more uh, than the Mendozas. And uh, I admire your pastor so much. Uh, Brother Jeremy, very little. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> no, truthfully, uh, he and Rochelle, and I'm just so, so, so grateful to know them. And I've, I've enjoyed this week way more than the, I could possibly describe to you. And I've learned so much and so many things. Exodus 3, let's get to the Bible, though, this morning. Uh, the Bible says in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh the hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we just want to pause right now and thank you for this passage. And I pray that you would speak through me. And I pray that today your Holy Spirit would in a very, very real way connect, Lord, with hearts here and apply the truths from your word. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and the awesome privilege it is to be in your presence, in your house, with your people. And we just uh, pray today that everything would be done today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So... Uh, ever since we're children, we're born with this struggle to have control of our own lives. Um, I think it's psychologist Henry Cloud that tells about studies that are done with little ones in nurseries. And, you know, uh, uh, the worst place on earth is a church nursery, right? Right now, uh, they are fighting over, you know, the one toy and someone has it and some other one goes over there and they take it and they have, they had hooked wires up to these kids and they figured out that the brain activity, the moment a child would take a toy from another one is just off the charts because we just thrive ever since we're kids on control. And truthfully, that desire never goes away. In fact, I think it many times intensifies with age. Uh, it was early on in my life, and I don't remember how, but I came to this conclusion that the best way that I could use my life would be to be a medical doctor. So ever since I could talk, I, you know, uh, people would ask me, what are you going to be? And I would say, well, uh, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. That's just what I had figured out uh, would be the best use of my 
time here on earth. So I began to take classes in school and get the grades and, you know, uh, try to get the scholarships. And I would work with uh, my uncle, who's a surgeon, and on in the summers. And my sister was a nurse. And so we'd visit. I'd go to medical school with her and things. And, and, and about 16 years old, God brought me to a moment in my life where I began to wrestle about uh, vocational ministry, and it was subtle at first, like, you know, people would throw hints out and would say things, and I would say, nah, there's no way God wanted to use me as a preacher, you know, and, and then it became a realization, Lord, you want me in the ministry, don't you? Until it had to come, I had to come to a decision, a moment where I surrendered and said, Lord, I, I know you're calling me, and, uh, and I believe this is where you want me to go, and so the problem is that if you're a believer, you have a similar story, and it may not be about ministry, but there's something that we're wrestling with even right now. I have had many times like that one since when uh, I discovered in life that I can't control my life's path. Really, God has a plan. Can I get a witness there? All right. I mean, God is in control, and we come to Christ, and we get saved, and then Jesus comes to us, and he says, look. I want to be your wonderful counselor. Yes, I want to, uh, uh, you know, guide your life and give you wisdom for every day. Sure, I want to be your uh, friend and I want to be there when you need me. Uh, yes, I, 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 I'm there and I, I'm your savior. I paid your debt. I died on the cross for your sins. I love you more than you could possibly know. But you know, I also want to be more than that. I'm your Lord. And David said, you know, he came to this moment where he, and all he could equate it was with, you know, his childhood vocation. He's like, we are his sheep and we are his children and we are the sheep of his pasture, he said. In other words, David figured out, the Lord is my shepherd. This is not my life anymore. So David says he gets to direct me. He gets to set a plan and my job is to follow it. Now, uh, God's told me many times, Carlos, it's time for you to follow me. And he asks many of us today, would you follow me? And here's the problem with that, is that we like to stay in our comfort zone, but God is continually calling us to a risky place. We like the comfort, and God's continually saying, hey, I want you to go to where it's risky. Now, in front of us here in Exodus 3, we have the story of a man uh, named Moses. Now, let me back up. I think a lot of you here, you know the Bible. Maybe you don't. But Jacob, the Bible says in the Old Testament, way back in Genesis, was a, a man who uh, had 12 children, and he had a favorite, right? How many of you, your, your parents had a favorite growing up? Okay, yeah. Uh, my parents would say to me, uh, when my dad would discipline me, he would say, I'm doing this because I love you. And I would tell him at those moments, obviously you love me a lot more than my sister because you do this a lot more to me than to her. So... <laughs> Jacob had a favorite. The Bible says his name was Joseph, and Joseph's brothers, full of jealousy and envy, sell him off as a slave. They lie to their father. They gave him this fabricated story about the beasts of the field, you know, ate him, Lord, and here is, uh, here is his cloak of many colors that you'd given him. But uh, the Bible says they sell him off, and he ends up uh, uh, in Egypt, and uh, at the end of Jacob's life, towards the end, there's a famine, and so he sends his remaining 11 sons to go down and look for food. And you know, when they get there, the Bible says, they figured out that the guy in command is none other than their long-lost, sold brother, Joseph. 
So the Bible says uh, God uses Joseph to carve away and now uh, make a way. Now Jacob and his sons, they move to Egypt, the Bible says, and, uh, and they live a very favored life, but things change. And if you fast forward 400 years now, Jacob's families become, the Bible says, uh, uh, great. Uh, 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 they, they've become large. They started with 70 and they became a great nation. And the new Pharaoh, the new president, if you will, the new king now, hates him. So during this time, God begins to do something behind the scenes. So at 400 years, the Bible says there's a young couple. Their names are Amran and Jochebed. Okay. If your name is Amran and Jochebed, I'm sorry. The Bible says they have a baby and they name him Moses. Pharaoh decides we're going to kill all the baby uh, Jews that are born to all the baby boys born to any Jewish family. And so they can't hide him any longer, the Bible says. And so for whatever reason, I believe God's direction, they put their baby in a basket and they set him in the river and they watch him float away completely by faith. And who is bathing downstream? None other than Pharaoh's daughter. She sees this little baby in a basket, decides, I'm going to keep him. She has compassion in his heart, and she says, uh, but I need somebody, a nanny. I need somebody to watch over him. Well, over in the bushes is Moses' biological sister, Miriam. She uh, pops up, and she says to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I know a lady, a Hebrew lady, who would love to take care of your baby, and she just happens to have an opening in her child care, in her daycare right now. And so the Pharaoh's daughter says, go get her. She goes to get her. Uh, Moses' mom comes, and now she's caring for her baby, being paid for by Pharaoh's daughter under the protection of Pharaoh's soldier. And how many moms here would love to have that gig, right? You know, get paid well uh, to, to care for your own children. So fast forward 40 years. The Jews are under terrible oppression and slavery. And by the way, God hates slavery of any kind, but especially Slavery to sin. And I believe this story is trying to show us that. And the Bible says that Moses sees the oppression of his people and he begins to feel a burden for them. But he does what most of us do. He creates a plan. And he figures, I'm, I think I'm going to control this situation. So one day he goes out and he sees an Egyptian who is mistreating one of the Hebrews. And he rises up, the Bible says, and he kills the Egyptian. Well, uh, authorities hear about this, and the news goes all the way to Pharaoh himself, and, uh, and he sees that as an act of treason, so he, put a, he puts a bounty on Moses' head. Moses, at 40 years old, has to leave Egypt, the Bible says, and here we are. We have Moses now in a desert, and he runs into a guy named Jethro, and he figures out he's got this very pretty daughter, and he's end up, uh, he ends up marrying his daughter and tending his sheep, and 40 years later, we find Moses in a very comfortable place. So here he is until he figures out God has a plan. And he begins to do something. And he begins to unfold this glorious plan in his life. And the Bible says it all starts on the backside of the desert. So I'm going to take a call a timeout here in the message, okay? And I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. Some of you have heard of this this week, but over a year ago, God began to stir our hearts. We were very comfortable living in our home Southern California, uh, we were uh, pastoring a Spanish congregation. We had a staff of a dozen of our closest friends, 80,000 square feet of buildings had just been built. We had numbers that were growing, people coming to Christ, people were giving, others were going, uh, many were serving, the spirit was healthy, and more importantly, our home and family felt settled until we didn't anymore. 
until God began to say, uh, you know, I want you to go do this somewhere else. And I'd been serving at that church 25 years, 18 years as a staff member. And frankly, I thought I was going to die there. My wife and I met at that church. Our children were born. Our children were saved. Our children were baptized in that church. Uh, it was home until it wasn't. And I can remember the day last March when my wife looked at me. We were sitting in the couch there in the living room. And she said, you know we're not supposed to be here. And I looked at her like every good husband does and said, shut up, woman. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> And I knew she was right, but I wrestled with God about that. And this past summer, uh, I sat there and I began to pray, and I knew that this was God, was God was doing. I have to tell you that I believe that when God has a plan, He begins to do something. God's always working, isn't He? I just want to tell you this morning, my first point is, I want you to be aware of this truth. God wants to do something about those who are enslaved all around you in this world. The truth is, verse 1 says that Moses kept the flock of Jethro. And notice verse number 1, that it says he was near the mountain of God. He says that he came to church that day, not knowing he went to the presence of God, the place where he knew God's presence was. And the Bible says uh, that he was there. And all of a sudden, verse 2 says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, I want you to realize, number one, be aware that God wants to do something. You know, uh, the Bible says that he noticed something about God's ways here that I want you to realize. And that, that's something that I have learned, that often the callings of God and the plans of God are found and are unfolded in very simple ways, in very simple things. We have to become aware that God works in the menial, in the simple, in the everyday, in the normal uh, stuff of life. Uh, Moses, the Bible says, is tending his sheep, and Moses decides he's going to be close to God. And verse 3 says, notice what happens, and this is very important. Notice uh, verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, great sight why this bush is not burnt. Now, I'm going to tell you, I lived in the desert 31 years, and I'm going to be honest with you, there is absolutely nothing out of the ordinary about a bush. And can I be honest with you? There's nothing special about a bush burning in the desert. In fact, if you've watched the news, you know, California is on fire every single year, you know, for about three months. There's absolutely nothing to see here, nothing unusual but a tumbleweed, and we had tumbleweeds in Lancaster and Jeremy. You remember them. Some of them were size of cars. I mean, it was unbelievable. And here, the Bible says Moses had to look a little closer to notice that it wasn't being consumed. And you may be sitting here feeling like nothing's happening in my life, nothing to see. I just go to school. I just go to college. I'm just going to classes. I'm just trying to work my job. I'm just trying to survive, you know, in my family. It's just another Sunday. But I want to remind you, God uses ordinary people, but he uses them for extraordinary ends. And we have to become aware that God is all over the ordinary. There is a reason that you are tending your sheep. There is a reason that you go to that high school. There is a reason that you're washing your car. There's a reason that you have that time in the Word of God. There's a reason that God gave you a promotion. There's a reason He led you to that job. There's a reason you're sitting in this church right now. There is a reason God has you uh, where He has you. And all of a sudden, He sends a friend who gives a good word, and He sends an invitation, and you come to church, and He puts a person in your life who gives you a perspective, and He gives 
gives you a verse that all of a sudden speaks to your heart and he puts a song, the Bible says, in front of you that delivers a message and a person on a plane and somebody in the cubicle next to you and somebody in the car, uh, in, the, in the house next door and you have to be aware. And the Bible says that Moses realized that God's ways are very simple. In other words, he is working in the everyday things of life because God wants to do something. And so God's ways are simple, and God's work is honestly very, very clear. Notice verse 9. The Bible says that God had heard the cries of his people. Therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. So we have to be aware that God's callings aren't necessarily only primarily about me, my comfort, my success. They're about God wanting to do something. God has heard someone who is just dying on the vine, somebody who's crying out to him, somebody somewhere in this world is going, oh, Lord. And all of a sudden, God begins to work things, and he puts you there, and he promotes you. And all of a sudden, the boss says, I have to move you to that shift. And all of a sudden, they say, hey, that class is full. You're going to have to take it that day. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, and you're going, what am I doing here? And you move to maybe the Rio Grande Valley. And whatever it is that God does, all of a sudden, you see in verse 9 that it was all about God. There's a verse that God gave us uh, as a family about three to four months ago, and it's Psalm 118, 23 that says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You know what the word marvelous means? It means that when God does something, it is unexplainable. It's, it's hard to understand. Marvelous means you see it. I see it, Lord. I, under, I know you're doing this, but I don't understand it. I have to be honest with you that uh, that move to Egypt for Moses uh, wasn't about God making him unhappy. I believe it was about God's greater plan. We see that here. That job move to another department that you hate isn't about you. You may be sitting there going, Lord, I have to work with this dingus, you know, this person that irritates me. And you may be going, Lord, what are you doing to me? You may be thinking, Lord, why did I have to move here to this city? Lord, why did you bring me to this school? Lord, why do you have me in this moment? But you know, there's a reason. There's a reason God has you in that job, this neighborhood, this place right now. It's not about God making you uncomfortable many times. Many times it's because of that, that lady that works at the Starbucks that you stop at. And that guy who is hurting, who all of a sudden is finding himself in that same job, in that cubicle next to you. And all of a sudden, if we open our eyes, we see that God is at work, and he often works in the menial, in the simple, in the everyday. See, we have to be aware that we may be thinking, God's trying to make me uncomfortable, but God is thinking, I'm trying to use you for my glory. I have somebody that I have heard their cry. They're miserable, and you know them. And listen, it's not about the pastor or about Pastor uh, Jeremy. It's about God. wanting to use everyone here in the simple places that God has you in. So you have to become aware. But the second thing you have to be is you have to be available. You have to be aware that God wants to do something, but I want to tell you when God wants to do something, he begins to call on someone. So the message this morning is for you. Now notice verse 4. Are we there? You have your Bible, right? Let's read verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The Bible says that God says to him, Moses. Now, how many of you understand what I'm saying <laughs> Okay, this morning? The call was pretty clear, wasn't it? And Moses said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not, not, uh, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet. The place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, once you become aware that everywhere is holy ground, 
and that God is working, all of a sudden you start to understand that God is involving you in His greater plan. He's inviting you to be on the inside. And the pattern stands true in the whole Bible. The Bible says that Isaiah, once he saw the Lord high and lifted up, the Bible says that he said, uh, the, uh, he said the Bible says, verse 8, here my Lord send me. So God has a calling for you. Listen to me. There's something broken in your world. Someone's hurting in your sphere of influence. Someone has ache in your bubble. And sometimes we're too into us to realize that God has you there, and it's all about that. We were in Connecticut two weeks ago, and I have to tell you, man, I felt lost. And we were picking up some groceries after we arrived, and I just said, Lord, help me to see the need. And we drove around, and we went to, I think, every Target in the city, because that's what my wife does, okay? And as a good husband, I take her to all of them. And we got back to the house and uh, after that day after just getting some groceries. And I told the kids, I said, hey, how many churches did you see? And they said, none. I said, how many, like, you know, Radio Dios Habla Hoy stickers did you see? None. How many fish stickers did you see on cars? And they said, I didn't see any. This is one of the top 10 most biblically illiterate cities in America. And God sees it. And He feels compassion for it. But are you aware, number one, and number two, are we available? See, this is what happens the moment that God begins to lead us. The first thing that happens is fear sets in. Is anybody here afraid of the idea of God using you? Anybody else here? I'm, I am. It all started this morning when I woke up and I went, oh, no, I've got to preach in English and then in Spanish. <laughs> and then fear sits in. They're all going to be staring at me like you guys are staring at me now. You know. And the question that we have is, Lord, can I trust you? Are you going to make me miserable? What if you make me do something I don't like? And this is why it's called faith. You know, Paul said in the book of Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So here he's saying, hey, look, be aware. God wants to use you. But then he says, and be not conformed to this world. In other words, don't be like the world. You know what the world thinks? Oh, what a coincidence. No, no, no. He says, don't we, if we're followers of Christ, we don't think what a coincidence is. There is no coincidences for the child of God, the Bible says. I knew when I was coming here this week that God had something for me to learn. I got to tell you, I have learned so much. He says, don't be like the world. He says, but know this, by the renewing of your mind, know that you are here, it says, to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. God's will is, the Bible says, good. You know what that means? It is what you would choose for yourself if you knew what God knows. It's perfect. It, good. You know what the, what the job of a preacher is most of the time on Sunday morning? is to convince you that God is good. Can I tell you something? God is good all the time. Even when we don't understand it. And so the Bible says here about God's will, Paul says it's good. And he says, number two, it is acceptable. In other words, it's pleasing. To whom? To you. When God calls you, you're going to like it. 
You're going to enjoy it. Somebody asked me, they're like, oh, you got to hate the cold weather. You know, I think it snowed all day yesterday in Connecticut. What's cool about it is it's, it's, it melts after a while. You know, you have two snow days, and then it's like, you know, life is back to normal. And hey, guess what? I'm two hours away from Yankee Stadium. I mean, what else would you happen to possibly want in life? I mean, it's awesome. God is not going to go, oh, you know, teenager, you hate Chinese food? I'm sending you to China. That's not how God works. Is, is God's will unexpected? Yes. I remember when we were, uh, uh, you know, getting married and somebody said, hey, we'll buy your ticket for your honeymoon. And somebody else said, hey, I'll pay your hotel. And they're like, just choose the place. And we were like, man, what a deal. So my wife and I started talking. Let's not go to the normal spots. Let's, uh, let's go somewhere exotic, far away, somewhere we'll probably never go live in our whole entire lives, right? And uh, so we spent a wonderful honeymoon in the Northeast, where I now live. <laughs> Unexpected? Yes. Miserable? Never. God's will is what you would choose for yourself if you were as sovereign and as all-knowing and as loving as God is. But are you available? I, I found that God wants to do something. And when He wants to do something, He begins to call on someone. And once you say, here my Lord, it goes from being aware to being available. And once you make yourself available, this is where life gets good. And now you come alive. This is where I believe life, I believe, is, is supposed to be lived. Coming to that place of being available means that you put yourself in God's plan and all of a sudden you start to ask yourself questions like, can I do this? And can I tell you something about this? You can't. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. About... Two months ago, we were kind of coming to that moment where, uh, actually, right, right the week before Christmas, uh, I um, was coming to that realization that God wanted us to go to Connecticut, and uh, I'm going to be an executive pastor there at the church, and God's doing some amazing things at the church we're going to, but God said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to follow the next step. That's it. And I had about... Six different people that Christmas week give me this verse. I went to dinner with someone and they said, hey, I want to give you a little card. And it was, I thought it was going to be money. How many of you are disappointed when they give you a Bible verse, right? And it said, Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, the good man, delighteth in his way. In other words, God's going to give you, he's going to show you steps. And when you take them that way, that path of just following one step at a time, it's delightful. And I thought, that's interesting. I put that in my pocket. I called a friend the next day uh, in uh, Central America, a missionary, and he said, hey, he goes, listen, just follow the cloud. And he said this, he goes, you know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. The next day I got an email from one of the deacons of the church we were going to, and he said, man, we're thrilled that you're coming. And can I tell you something? He said, you know, Psalm 20, 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And so sometimes we don't understand this, but when God uh, puts a call upon our lives, it's not the ways or the plans that he orders, it's the steps. So I had a week where you just about every day, you know, hear this verse, and all of a sudden I'm coming to the place where I'm going, okay, Lord, you're trying to tell me this, just follow one step at a time. So God said, leave Lancaster. So we left. You know, I put, we pulled out of town, and I had five children and, uh, and a wife who are all looking at me like, okay, God, you know, okay, Lord, uh, I'm assuming you're telling, you know, that Doofus in the driver's seat here that, uh, <laughs> because he says we're just supposed to leave. He has no 
job, no promise of a job. I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids. And uh, I just quit and said, hey, we're supposed to leave. You know what God said? He said, you just get out of town and you get to Illinois. We went to Illinois, spent some wonderful time uh, over the holidays with our, our in-laws, and God just said, okay, now take some vacation time. Get some rest. And so I was like, okay. So we did, and uh, we did that. I had a wonderful time, and I was coming back from vacation, and I told, I told my wife, I said, well, all we need now is to figure out where God wants us. I'm telling you, within 24 hours, uh, I knew exactly what God was trying to tell us, and I, and I, and I, I told uh, the pastor, yes, we'll come. And all of a sudden, uh, God began and, and then we and then we said, well, to go there, our house in California has to sell. Within an hour, our house sold. And it's just been this glorious unfolding of a step at a time. And so many times we ask ourselves this question, can I do this? And the answer is, no, you can't. Now, I'm going to tell you, but you can follow one step at a time. God doesn't give us a plan and a destiny. He gives us a step to take. And no, you can, you can do it. You can take the next step, but you can't do it. You can't make the, li- the story of your life wonderful. But life, the Christian life, is a series of simple steps where God's will is, un- is being unfolded and you just obey. So you turn aside here and you look at a bush and Moses was available, and the Bible says God began to show him what he was going to do. And what was Moses' response? The same as my response in yours. Would you read verse 11 for me and look at what Moses said to God? He didn't say, okay, Lord, I'm all in. This is what Moses said. And Moses said unto God, who am I? Uh, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not a communicator. I'm not a politician. I can't go stand before the king. I don't know how to deliver people. He said, I'm not an a eloquent you know, speaker. He said, I've got a stammer, a stutter. I've got sin on my hands. Remember, Moses had killed a man. He's going, Lord, I am the least qualified person. Now, how does God respond? Now, can I tell you something? In 21st century, you know, millennial vernacular, here's what we want God to do. We want God to step down and go, Oh, no, you can do it. You're wonderful. Look at you. Look in the mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. You're, you know, who's the top dog off the mall? You are. All right. You know, yeah, if you can't do it, no one can. No, no, that's what we want to hear. But God doesn't give Moses this little uh, self-esteem pep talk. You know what he says to him? The same thing that he says to all of us. I mean, I've said to God lately, like, Lord, what am I doing here? And God doesn't answer. You know what God said to Moses? Who am I? And Moses, the Bible says, heard the same thing we'll hear when we ask that question. Nothing. Because really, without him, we are nothing. (laughs) And really, God loves to use nothings. You can be too big for God, but I have to tell you, And I see a lot of young people here. You can't be too small for God. You could be too big, but you can't be too small. God doesn't answer Moses' question. Notice verse 12. And he, God said, what did God say? Certainly, I will be with thee. He told him, I promise you, I promise you this, I will be with you. Who's I? The great I am. The Bible says that the most important thing is not who you are and what your last name is and where you were born and what kind of family you were born into and what talents you were given and what kind of abilities you have and what color of skin you have. And, you know, if you're, you know, uh, more indigenous or if you're, you know, uh, European descent, if you're tall, if you're skinny, if you're brown, if you're black, if you're white, the most important thing is not that, but it is who he is. He 
He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. The Bible says, and He is wonderful, and He lives in us. That's why Paul would say, nevertheless, not I, but Christ that lives in me. The Bible says that Paul said, look it, by the grace of God, he said, I am what I am. And he said, not because I'm something. He says, but I've done more than any other apostle. And he said, not because I'm something, but because I allowed the grace of God to live in me. And you know, I'm impressed uh, by the life of many people who just decided I'm just an instrument. Billy Graham died uh, about a month ago. And you guys remember that. And two days before that, I was at the Billy Graham library. And all over the place, there was this saying. And he just, it just would say, it would just say, Billy Graham would say the words, God's instrument. I'm just God's instrument. And he led millions of people to Christ. Can I be honest with you? All of us have to stop here and go, that's what life is all about. When God calls you and you say, Lord, here I am. And he says, okay, here's the next step. And then here's the next step. You know what begins to happen is this wonderful unfolding of God's plan. And when God wants to do something, he calls someone that he can do something miraculous through for his glory. The callings of God, the Christian life, isn't really difficult. It's impossible. The Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. But we're not called to live for God, and we're not called to do great things for Him. We're called to every day let Him live in us. And when you do that, all of a sudden, God begins to do some wonderful things, and that's when you experience Life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you may have it abundantly. So we have this struggle about control, don't we? So this morning I said, Lord, here am I, and it's Carlos, and you know, I don't know if I can do this. And God said, I never said you could. This is about, will you let me do it through you? Really, that's the question. And as he fills us, and as he lives in us, it's amazing as you just take the steps that he orders what God begins to do. The Christian life isn't about God asking us to do more. It's about God inviting us to be his. And he's saying, if you'll give me your life, I can take it and I can do something great with it. So when God called Moses to deliver his people, he was 80 years old staring at a retirement. He had a barber who, when he walked in, he said, do you use your Moses? He said, yep. He went to a diner, and when he walked in, the waitress would say, the same Mo? He'd go, yep. His grandkids lived across the street. He was comfortable. But he became aware that God was doing something, and something so insignificant. And the Bible says, he yielded himself to the Lord. And he experienced a great life. Moses, what? In 20 different times in Exodus, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Moses saying. God didn't tell him, you're going to have these 10 plagues. No, he would just say, it's just simple. Right now, go. When you get to Egypt, he said, uh, your, Moses is gonna meet you, uh, your brother is going to meet you there, Moses. When he got there, he went with Aaron and he spoke to, and he threw his rod down. You remember that? And it became a serpent. And then God said, hey, go tell him this is what's going to happen. Let my people go. And, and if, he does, if Pharaoh doesn't do it, he said, uh, this is the plague. And then this is the plague. And then this is the plague. And ten plagues later, he said, uh, go do this. He said, tell the Egyptians to go to their neighbors and say, hey, can I borrow a cup of gold? 
and silver. And the Bible says they spoiled the Egyptians. And then they got in the wilderness and he said, extend uh, the rod. And the river parted. You remember the story. I mean, what an awesome, exciting life, the Bible says. And for the next 40 years, he experienced this thrilling, amazing, you know, manna from heaven and, you know, uh, tri-tip, you know, blowing in with the east wind. I mean, it was unbelievable. It's just this awesome life. His life came alive, the Bible says, as he just obeyed the next step that God told him to do. So we sang a little while ago, right? When we walk with the Lord, when you go to the mount of God, in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While he, we do His good will every day, He abides with us still and with all who will just what? Trust and obey. Here's, here it is. Here's the secret to life. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus to except to trust and obey, right? But are you aware that God wants to do something where you are? Are you available or is, are you just, you know, like me many times, just going, Lord, why did you put me here? And are you willing to make him come alive one step at a time? Maybe you're here. Maybe you're like, God, use me. You don't understand I'm a broken mess. I'm a, I'm a person who needs God. And can I tell you, I don't know who you are. I don't hardly know anyone here. But if you're here and you're like, I'm the one who's broken, God sees that. God hears it. And He knows it. And you know what? He called someone. He called His only Son. And He sent Him to the cross. And the Bible says He climbed His hill. And he died there for your sins. So that the Bible says he can right now at this moment say, would you come unto me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden? Just bring your sin just as you are. There's no one here that's too good that I can't save. There's no one here too evil that I can't save. He says, just come. And then he says, and if you come unto me, he says, I will. I'll give you rest. I'll save you. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ and you're not saved, can I tell you something? Don't worry about the control part. Don't worry about a lot of other things. This, this, the, the Christian life is one step at a time. But the first step you have to take is you must be born again. You have to come to God's family. You can't take those steps until you're born. Babies have to be born before they walk. And if you're here, you look at experience new life. Come to Jesus this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And we'll be done in just a few moments. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses, who just simply, simply obeyed. Lord, we're here because we believe with all of our hearts that you want to use us right where we are. And Lord, for many of us, it's just about being aware that you're working in us and in others, that you're going to intersect our path, and that you're going to put us maybe in a city, on a plane, somewhere this week because someone needs you. Help us to be aware, to be available. Lord, make our steps come alive as we obey you. Uh, I pray that you'll give me just a couple minutes here, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Would you just, maybe this morning, be willing to say, you know, Pastor Carlos, I'm, I'm very aware of this. I believe God wants to do something in, in my everyday life where he has me, in the city, in that school, in that job in that class. I believe, I believe God's been trying to tell me to just 
recognize it's not about me. It's about others. There's people who are broken and he wants to use me somehow. And I'm, I'm willing to let him. I, I see what God's doing. And I, honestly, I'm preaching to myself. So I'm trying this morning to be surrendered to that. Is anyone else here willing to say, you know, pray for me because I, I think that's what God is trying to tell me this morning. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. God has a plan. He wants to use me right where I am. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. What a blessing. I'm going to encourage you to come in a moment and just say, Lord, I surrender myself to this place in life where you have me. I think you're trying to use me for your glory. Can I ask a question? Are you saved? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Do you know that? How many here would say, yeah, I do. I remember the, the moment when I prayed and I remember Jesus Christ came and he saved me and it's not like I'm good or better than others. I just know I'm saved. He's good. He did something great for me. He saved my soul. Would you raise your hand just as a testimony this morning? What a blessing. Let me put your head down. I, I don't think some of you here raised your hand and maybe it's because you don't know that. You don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'd love to take that step this morning. Friend, it's just about one step. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was. None of us are. All you have to do is trust and obey him this morning. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Carlos, I want to do that. I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're not saved, you're not sure you're a Christian, would you right there just pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I'd like to ask you to save my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross. Save me. Just tell him that. Just say, save me. And then end the prayer this way. Say, Lord, help me to not be ashamed. Help me to live for you. Just say amen. Just pray that from your heart. Save me, Lord Jesus. If you're here and you're not sure you're saved, but at, at your seat this morning, you prayed that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. No one else is looking. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray for you. Would you raise your hand if you just prayed that prayer? Just, just let me know it. I'd love to just pray for you. Anyone here? I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ to save my soul. Is there anyone here this morning who say, yeah, I just did that. Father, I thank you for the way you've spoken to our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the honor that it is to hear your voice. Bless, Lord, this day as we serve you in it. And I pray that you'd help us to be available to your call in our lives. And we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Amen. Thank you for that message, Pastor. And um, I hope you're challenged and encouraged today. And thank God for the decisions that were made. Uh, as you're standing before we uh, dismiss this morning, I do just want to remind you about the uh, flyer that was in the bulletin, the Rally in the Valley. It is the first Saturday in May, uh, May 5th, that we'll be having this event. It's one of the biggest events that we have in the year, and uh, we want you to be just uh, make plans to be there. We're about four weeks away, and I know it's a day for the family. Uh, please invite friends, teenagers, as many friends as you, you'd like. Uh, the cost is $2 a person. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely worth the money, and it's great to go. 
Uh, if you don't have the $2, let me know. I will give you the $2. And you, all, you need to go. It's going to be a, a wonderful day there at Camp Loma de Vida, May 5th, Rally in the Valley. If you'd like to invite some friends, you say, I'd like some flyers, maybe invite people from work or some friends, you can pass by the information center, and there you can pick up as many as you need, five, ten of them, and uh, try to get as many as you can. we got a special speaker from California that will be there uh, this, this year, and I know he's going to be a blessing. You're going to really enjoy it. Uh, that'll be May 5th, okay? May 5th. Uh, just start making plans. It's going to be great. And then also don't forget the 23rd of April. We have prayer night. Uh, it's on a Monday night, and uh, we want to invite everybody back. Uh, just for a time of prayer from 7 o'clock p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. All we do is come and pray, and I know it'll be a blessing for you. So uh, prayer night will be April 23rd. Let's go ahead and pray. Don't forget, after, uh, after this, we have our Sunday school classes, so as many as can make it. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time. If you're not in a Sunday school class, you'd like to join one, uh, you can ask any of the ushers, ask anyone back there, and they'll be able to uh, guide you to where your Sunday school class is, and it'll be something that will be a blessing for you, I know. Let's go ahead and pray then and, and be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you so much for your many blessings. Thank you for allowing us once again to be here in your house. Thank you for the message. I pray that you would help us now to meditate upon what we have heard and then be able to apply it into our lives. Father, may we decide today to follow you and to give our life to you. Father, uh, continue to uh, speak to us throughout this week. Show us areas and needs around us that we can be a blessing to others. And I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.